time you find yourself running away from God, you can be sure that you're running away from the one where true life is found. Jonah chapter 3, verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim it to the message that I've given to you. So you remember, God came to Jonah at the beginning and said, go to Nineveh. And Jonah says, no, I'm going to go to Tarshish. And God says, go here. He says, no, I'm going here. And so what's God do? He sends a storm. And he says, no, Jonah, it's not going to work this way. So God intervenes to prevent Jonah from escaping. And Jonah says, no, I don't want this. So he says to the sailors, throw me overboard like an attempt to kill himself. Like, no, God, I'm going to win. And God says, no, you're not, because a great fish swallows him and vomits him back out. And, and so now God comes to him a second time. Jonah, go to Nineveh. See, God is going to force Jonah to deal with his, well, with this question. God is going to force Jonah to answer the question, who are you living for? Because that's the question that keeps coming back up in our life, that we can change the circumstances, that we can escape for a while in social media or binge watching television or gaming. or We, we, can, we can run for the alcohol or addictions or uh, people and relations. We can run for a while, but God is going to keep forcing us. He's going to keep intercepting. He's going to keep putting this question on our plate before our eyes. Who are you going to live for? See, we're asking ourselves questions all the time. We're asking ourselves, you know, what do I want to do? What's next summer look like? What do I want to major in? Who do I want to be with? Do I want to be with this person? We're asking ourselves questions all the time. But are we asking ourselves the right questions? Like, one of the questions people ask me that, that it drives me crazy. I don't know how to answer it, but they're like, now, are you doing all right? Are you happy? Are you good? How do you answer that question? I, I, I'm not even sure it's a question that I should be asking myself. See, questions, research shows that your brain won't resist questions. Questions have a way of getting around your brain's defense mechanisms. And so questions tend to be really powerful in your life, in everybody's life. And so if you're asking yourself the question, am I happy? It seems to me like a little bit like of a dangerous question. One of the podcasts I was listening to, the sociologist, for sure not a Christian, but, but she was talking about relationships. And I think you could apply this to all kinds of areas of life, but, but I thought it was so incredibly interesting. She said it used to be, so she's talking about people of, of a long time ago, it used to be that people didn't expect life here on earth to be happy. Life was hard. Life was suffering. Happiness was in the afterlife. But then life materially uh, got easier here, and so happiness became something that was in the afterlife to something that could happen here in this life. And then instead of it just being a possibility, it became a mandate, something we insisted upon. And, and, and she was talking about relationships, marriage and, and long-term relationships, and she said it used to be that people got divorced because they were miserable. They were terribly unhappy. Now she said they get divorced because they think they could be happier. See, see a, a lifetime of asking, am I happy, produces this sense of discontentment. Well, because I could be happier, right? I mean, I could always imagine a, a happier feeling than I have today. 
So it fuels discontentment. Are we asking ourselves the right questions? Here's some questions that, that, that I think would be helpful to ask ourselves. One, is knowing Jesus better than anything? We'll come back to that one in a second. Is knowing Jesus better than anything? Two, will I live the life God asks me to live? I know the life I want to live. I know the life that I would design for myself, but that's not my question. My question is, will you and I, will we live the life that God has given us, that God has put in front of us? Because there are so many options available to us, but we live the one that God has called us to live. You know, this research has shown that if you give somebody a choice of two or three pieces of, of, of candy and they take one, and you come back and go, are you happy with your choice? They go, yeah, I'm happy with it. But if you give them 15 choices of candy and they take one and you come back and ask them, are you happy with your choice? The number goes way down. Dissatisfaction really goes down because there's, there's so many options. I just keep thinking, well, what if I'd have picked another uh, choice, another piece of Maybe I'd be happier with my choice than the one I actually took. And you and I have so many options for your life. You have so many different ways you can go. But will you live the life that God has called you to? Did you hear about the kid? Uh, true, true story. Ohio just came out not too long ago. I think it was earlier this month where the, the kid gets in his car. He's eight years old, and he decides he wants to go to McDonald's. He takes his four-year-old sister. They get into his parents' car, and he drives to McDonald's. He goes through the drive-thru orders food for him, gets up to the drive-thru window, and the people working the drive-thru think it's like a prank. They think the parents are in the backseat, but they're not. People who'd seen the eight-year-old driving, they said he was better driver than my daughter. He, he, he didn't hit anything. <laughs> he, no wrecks. <laughs> he, he drove perfectly to McDonald's. He knew exactly where he was going. He went through the drive-thru perfectly. He said he taught himself how to drive by watching YouTube videos. Amazing. He, he knew what he wanted. They, they, by the way, it wasn't an issue of neglect. He, he had eaten three meals that day. He just really wanted McDonald's. He knew what he wanted, and he was willing to do whatever it took to get it. And sometimes you and I are like that. We don't want the life God wants us to live, but we want the life we want, and we'll do whatever it takes to get it. Third question, is there anything in my life that doesn't please God? a hard question to answer, isn't it? Fourth question, am I available to be used by God? Am I available to be used by God? So the rest of our time today, I just want to focus on that first question, is knowing Jesus better than anything? So just think for a moment, what's the best life that you could imagine for yourself? Now, don't hold back. This is not the time to be realistic. This is the time that if you always wanted to be an NBA star, you're an NBA star. If you always wanted to be a dancer, you can be a dancer. If you always wanted to be a CEO, you could do that. If you always wanted to, 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 to be a singer, a rock star, you could do that. I mean, what's the best life, not realistic life, what's the best life that you could possibly imagine? Is it money? Is it vacations? Is it people? Is it where you live? Is it travel? What is it that you can imagine that would be the life that you would choose if everything was on the table and now my question is jesus better than that 
And what I mean by better is following Jesus more pleasurable, more exciting, more satisfying, more meaningful, more purposeful. Is following Jesus a fuller life than the best possible life you can imagine. And, And if your answer to that is no... If it takes you a long time to answer that, if you know the church answer, but it's not your real answer, I I tell you this, for you, for me, for everybody, if your answer to that really in the deepest part of your heart is no, it's going to be really hard to live the Christian life. It's going to be really hard to live the Christian life over the long run. And if your answer to that is no, if your answer to that is that following Jesus is not more exciting, more pleasurable, more meaningful, more purposeful, the best possible life that you could have is following Jesus. If it's not that, then Jesus, well, he must have been lying when he said he came to give us life and that life and abundantly. Jesus must have been confused when he said it is foolish to, to gain the whole world, but to forfeit your soul for it. Jesus must have been flat out wrong when he said that he and he alone is the only one who can, well, can fill your thirsty soul. The Apostle Paul writes this in Philippians chapter 3. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss. Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. Paul says, I'm going to go all in on Jesus. I'll take everything, the best life I can imagine, and I'll give it all up. It's garbage compared to Jesus. Remember we said yesterday, or I think this morning, that what you pray for reveals what's most important to you? And when you look at the kind of prayers that Paul prays for the people in the churches that he cares about, they seem so different than our prayers. Like, like you and I, we pray for health. Does Paul pray for health? No. You and I, we pray for, like, easy, like, this would go well for me. Does Paul pray that? No. We, you and I, we pray for finances. Does that, Paul pray for that? No. I'm not saying those things we pray for are wrong. I'm just saying, why is it that they never come across Paul's prayer list? But there is something that keeps coming across it, and that is that you and I, the people he loves and cares about, the churches he had started, that people would know Jesus. That people would grow in their knowledge and their love in Jesus, because Paul knew that if you had Jesus, that if you and I could know him that that was the best possible thing we could have. I've wrestled with this my whole life. And, and here's a verse, share a verse that, that has helped me. Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, Moses, so this is the New Testament writer looking back into the life of Moses. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now, here's Moses. He had the opportunity to be Pharaoh's daughter. He had the opportunity to have the best life. He could have done everything you and I dreamed about. It was all there. It wasn't just in his imagination. It was in his hands. It was due him. He was headed that direction. 
but he chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy, catch this, the fleeting pleasures of sin. Now, the only way you know that, that sin's pleasures are fleeting is by faith. They don't seem fleeting at the moment. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as greater value than the treasures of Egypt. It's not like he said, well, I guess I'll just have to suck it up and, you know, do without. I'll have to sacrifice. I, I really want this, but, you know, I just am going to follow Jesus, so it'll be okay. No, he says, I looked at it, I took the best life, and I compared it to Jesus, and I'd rather have Jesus. You don't know how many times I've prayed that God would give me eyes to see Jesus that way. That God would give my family, that God would give our church the eyes to see Jesus so that we could look at everything the world has to offer and think, I've got it better in Jesus than that. Because the phrase, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, is absolutely true. Jesus by himself is better than everything else that the world has to offer. But if you ask that question, is following Jesus better than anything else? And you come up with the answer of no. First of all, I appreciate your honesty. So you won't get lectured from me. You won't get a disapproving look from me. If you find something you want more than Jesus, then here's what I say. Go follow it. Go worship it. Go find it. And go see if it is what you think it is. I, I don't know if you know the name Daniel Foster Wallace. He, he, he is a guy who uh, unfortunately killed himself at age 46, not that, not that long ago. He was part of, well, like one of his novels, Infinite Jest, was on the Times, um, Time Magazine's most important books in, in, the, in the last several years. Uh, he was the Pulitzer Prize-nominated author. He was uh, one of those people that the thinking people read. He was not at all a Christian, but the thinking people all read him because he was so talented and so insightful. So he's speaking at Kenyon College, which is in Ohio, and he's giving the commencement address at Kenyon College. And, and catch what this non-Christian, insightful, well-respected guy says. Just catch it. He says, because here's something else. So this is to the college students on commencement. Because here's something else that's weird but true. In the day-to-day -day trenches of adult life, there is actually no such thing as atheism. There is no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason for many, for, for maybe choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing is, is that what I said? Do I have, am I reading that right up there? Okay, sorry. It, is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough. You, you think this sounds like the Bible. It's not. It's just a guy who is smart and watched his own life and watched other people. You'll never feel like you have enough. It's the truth. Worship your body and beauty and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly. Isn't that the truth? The most beautiful people, and, and they're always insecure about how they look. 
And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. Worship power, and you'll end up feeling weak and afraid. And you will need ever more power over others to numb your own fear. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart, and you'll end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. Imagine some of you are, are, are so dedicated to, to, to academics, so dedicated to your own intellectual prowess. And, and you know that abiding fear. Is somebody going to find me out that I, I'm not as smart as everybody thinks I am? But the insidious thing, he says, the insidious things about these forms of worship is not that they're evil or sinful. It's that they're unconscious. They are our default settings. Everybody's a worshiper. Jonah's a worshiper. Jonah says he worships God, but does he? You say you worship God. I say I worship God, but do you and I worship God? What gets you excited? What, 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 what do you look forward to? What gives your life a sense that it's worth living? Maybe a, maybe a relationship, a new relationship? It's always a new one, right? Because the last one didn't quite work out and it wasn't quite what you'd hoped. Do you ever find yourself bargaining with God? Like, God, if you do this for me, I promise I'll do that. Well, whatever, when you're bargaining with God, it's because you found something better than God. And, and that other thing you want from God, that's really what you want. For some of us in this room, it's achievement that makes us feel good about ourselves. It's that we want to win. It's not just that we want to be successful. It want, it's that we want to be more successful than the other person. It's not just that we want to do well. It's that we want to do better than other people. Now notice what happens to Jonah. When Jonah worships something other than God, he doesn't get it. He turns suicidal. Remember, he wants to be thrown off the boat. He, he wants to die. In the next chapter tomorrow morning, we're going to see that he continues to have suicidal thoughts. Now, maybe it's not that extreme in all of our lives. I sure hope it's not. But when we don't get what we want, we get afraid, we get lonely, we get isolated, we get depressed, we get despairing, we get angry, we get worried, we're consumed with anxiety. I have a friend, um, a very successful person, great family, great guy, great, great everything, great business. A couple Thanksgivings ago, we were seeing my mom down in uh, Texas, where she lives now, and it's like Thanksgiving, and, and my phone is lighting up from this guy, and I'm like, for sure answering, but you know, he's a friend, but he, it's weird for him to be calling me like on Thanksgiving, and, and he's calling me from out of state at, at, at one of the places that his family was traveling, and he had checked himself into a, a, a hospital, almost like a psych ward. Because he was having anxiety attacks. Why? I mean, I'd never known him to have anything like this. So, so what's up? Well, he was afraid that he'd made a bad business decision. Over a long, lot of calls, and that 
Thanksgiving, and then when we got, all got back in town and kept visiting about it, he, he had thought that he had made a bad business decision. Now, is this a business decision that was going to cripple his company? Mm-mm. But it's a bad business decision that embarrassed him in front of other people. It turns out it wasn't even that big of a deal. It, it never even got talked about by anybody else. But it was just the thought that maybe he had made a bad business decision that was going to embarrass him in front of other people because what had he built his identity on? Being the smartest guy in the room. And all of a sudden, when he didn't get that, when something may have exposed a chink in the armor that he wasn't the smartest guy in the room, panic attack. To the point that you got to check yourself into a psych ward on a family vacation. That's pretty serious. That's where every idol eventually leaves us. When we worship something other than God and we, we, we don't get it, it eventually leaves us empty and broken. Now, now here's the thing. Our tendency is to shift our idols around. So, so imagine a person in a different life stage than you. Hopefully you can see it then in your life. It, it is, let, let's say we have a, a, a woman who is in maybe 30 years old. She lives in a big city, and she has a, a, a good career. She's single. She would like to be married. And, and she's frustrated because she really wants to be married, but she can't find a guy that she's interested that's interested in her. And, and she's frustrated, she's angry, she's depressed, and her friends come along, and her friends say, hey, you know, you just got to stop worrying about this and just pour yourself into the career, into your career. Now, now, do you see what happens? Is we've just traded one idol for another. We've just said, instead of finding meaning in life and first in, your, in a relationship, now just throw yourself in your career. So we're just shifting our idols around. I'm afraid that's what we do. We just shift the things around. And so God intervenes. God comes like he did to Jonah in a storm. He sends a storm in our life. He sends the emptiness and the brokenness to wake us up to say, no, no, no. I'm not going to let you get away. What are you going to live for? Who are you going to live for? Is, is, is following Jesus the best thing that you can possibly imagine? Is that your best life? Or do you have some if-onlys attached to it? Well, I'll follow Jesus if only he will give me the life I want, the storybook life, the job I want, the success I want, the relationships I want, the friends I want, the, the wealth I want, the places to live in the world that I want. The if-onlys, that is your real God. You're just holding on to Jesus like he's your lucky rabbit's foot, like maybe he'll get it for you. I didn't know David was going to refer to Jim Carrey the other night, but, but, but he, I have this quote by him I love. Jim Carrey, the actor, he said, I, I wish everyone could experience being rich and famous so, they see, so they'd see it isn't the answer to anything. All your if-onlys, there's somebody out there saying that. I, I, I wish someone, I wish everyone could see what it's like to have a marriage so they would see that it's not the answer to anything. I wish that everyone could see what it's like to travel so they would realize it's not the answer to in, anything. I wish that everyone could have money or fame or whatever it is that we want so we'd realize that it's not the answer to anything. No, God keeps calling us back. 
He's not going to let us go. He's going to make us face this question. Is following Jesus the best thing, the best thing that you can imagine for your life? That's the question today. That's going to be the question tomorrow. That's going to be the question next week and next month and next year. It's the question that I wrestle with every single day. Let's pray. Father, I pray that, that I, that everyone here, that, that you would open the eyes of our heart, Lord, so that we could see all the glory that's in Jesus, all the beauty that's in Jesus, all the richness that's in Jesus, all the wisdom that's in Jesus, all the grace and the mercy and the love and the purity, the joy and the happiness that's in Jesus. I pray that you would open our eyes up so that we could be like Moses and see the greatness of reward so that everything else here on earth pales. Everything else in our life it just fades a little bit because we've got something better. Oh God, I pray that you would help us to answer that question. That in Jesus' life, he's the best thing we could ever have. Help me, Lord. Help me to believe that. Amen.